I'm Julian Dobbs, and welcome to this returning episode of Living Through the Word, the official podcast of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. I'm so pleased that you've joined us today. Joining us is a friend of the diocese, John Ahern. John is a PhD candidate at Princeton University studying musicology, teaches at uh, Upper School Humanities and Latin at the Wilberforce School in Princeton, New Jersey. By the way, John, you have a great chapel there and a unique private school designed to provide a distinctively Christian education characterized by academic excellence and joyful discovery within the classical framework. Many people in the diocese will remember uh, Mr. Ahern as one of our exceptional organists at past synods in Southern Pennsylvania. And I've asked John to join me today because of his deep knowledge of church music history. One of the greatest gifts of the church is the deposit of faith stored in its hymnody. And I've asked John to join us on Living Through the Word periodically to discuss the story behind some of our great favorite hymns and to sometimes discuss some of those hymns that time has largely forgotten. We might even have one of those today. So, John, uh, thanks for bringing us these seasonal pieces today. Uh, we're going to talk about Advent and Christmas, and it's so great to have you with us. You're very welcome. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Uh, before we look at these um, three pieces, which you've chosen uh, and selected for us today, um, tell us a little bit about your faith journey. How is it that you came to believe in Jesus Christ? Well, it is. Uh, it's a wonderful story, and that and it started, uh, you know, at, at zero, or I suppose, depending upon your perspective, before the foundations of the world. But I there was. We, go. we can say that on this podcast, John. I'm glad that it's a safe space <laughs> to say that sort of thing. Um, yeah. It, so I, I grew up Christian. I, I've never known a day in which I, you know, I really wasn't a Christian uh, and didn't uh, believe in the gospel and didn't uh, and didn't have faith in in Jesus. Uh, and that's a, a wonderful gift of particularly my my mom uh, who and and my grandma who who raised me um, single parented me uh, up through the faith um, growing up and and uh, and all of my siblings as well so yeah that that is in brief the the story of how I came to know Jesus um, that that's not to say that there aren't of course uh, really difficult moments for for people who've uh, been raised in faith but uh, yeah, there, there's no particularly dramatic testimony there. Well, brother, we're grateful for you sharing it and thankful for the Lord's hand uh, evidently on your life. Uh, uh, I know John personally, and it's um, always a great joy to be with him. Your service, brother, to the church as a historian of music uh, is appreciated by many. It's certainly appreciated by me. Uh, I've so enjoyed uh, the conversations we've shared about theological convictions of various hymn writers. Uh, you write for Ad Fontes, a publication of the Davenant Institute, and one of the series um, you wrote for or write for is called uh, Church Music, Is It Just the Worst? Um, or Is Just Worst? Um, t tell me a little bit about that strange title for a, a um, Christian historian with regards to music. Yes, uh, it is a it's a series of uh, blog posts that I that I had going for a while, and I periodically try to keep it up. But um, it's just uh, basically selections of primary source documents from the history of church music. 
uh, where uh, Christians in the past are maybe complaining is not the sometimes it is complaining, complaining or justifiably uh, holy indignation and wrath toward the church music that they have. Uh, Because uh, I want to encourage us in some sense now that not to be too uh, down on our own church music on the one hand, and also to to recognize that there have been uh, peaks as well as slumps in the history of church music. And then also on the other hand, uh, that sometimes uh, theologians or critics of church music in the past maybe have got it wrong and that uh, that they have thought initially something was bad that turned out to be good. And, and there's a whole just variety of fascinating issues uh, raised there. But so, for instance, I, I think I had one that was about the origins of Gregorian chant in the Carolingian era, so Charlemagne around then, and uh, people complaining about how uh, chant was done in that period. Uh, you know, one one faction of how to chant versus another faction of how to chant. Of course, there's a, a, during the Reformation, church music was, was one of the biggest issues uh, of, of the whole Reformation, precisely because uh, much of the funding for sacred music in the Roman Catholic Church in the 15th century uh, was based on this corrupt beneficial system where where parish priests would go off and and have fun in Paris, but pay some some low guy on the totem pole to to preach for them. And then they sort of take the, the, the difference or the the arbitrage of the deal. And, and, and use it to, to party in Paris the whole time. And that was how a lot of the church music got funded, as well as, you know, purgatory was another big way that church music got funded. So, um, it, you know, the, the reformers, they really, they cared a lot about church music because they saw that, you know, there was a lot of theological, ecclesiastical implications um, in various different directions that, that resulted from church music. So this, this series is just me as a music historian fascinated by, um, the different moments in church music history and how people critiqued them, how just their critiques might have been. Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. Does, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It's helpful because we need to be concerned about those sorts of things today. Yeah. Hopefully not the purgatory and uh, some of the other money-changing hands in the church. Um, but we need to think about the doctrine of what we're singing, do we not, when we come together on the Lord's Day? Right. That must interest you both as a Christian and as a uh, music historian. Uh, yes. And I, I don't attempt anymore to distinguish between those two interests. Um, you know, uh, I, I just sort of unabashedly am really interested in the history of church music, both professionally as an academic, but, but precisely because I, I've grown up uh, thinking to myself that there is uh, some some really deep respect in which the the church in modern America is impoverished musically. And that I, I really want us to recover some of the richness that other past generations have had. And so that's, that's sort of a, uh, a life goal that that drives me both, both in the academic direction and also in the, in the more liturgical applied direction. As those who are listening will realize, John is a fascinating character, and we look forward, John, to having you on this uh, program uh, uh, on a number of occasions. Uh, December the 3rd, 2023, is the first Sunday 
in the liturgical season of Advent. Um, Advent coming from a Latin word meaning coming, translated into Greek, which of course um, in the Greek word parousia uh, references the second coming of Christ. Difficult to get a real grasp on when um, the season of Advent as a liturgical season comes into play, but once December 25th became Christmas, it really was the center of gravity for the latter half of the year and a perfect balance to Easter in the first half. And in this way, Advent takes on a significance the same way Lent does in the early part of the year. And both are a preparation for more significant seasons uh, on the horizon. So by the fourth century, we have written evidence of the season of Advent, and we're still, uh, many of us in the Christian world, um, uh, participating in that season today. John's chosen three um, uh, seasonal pieces, um, uh, one for Advent, two for Christmas. Um, why don't we begin talking about those, brother? Tell us about the first one. Yeah, the first one is, uh, is probably familiar to to some people in the ADLW uh, orbit, and that's low. He comes with clouds descending. Although I'm always um, a little uh, surprised that this isn't more well known. I I remember the first time I uh, I did not grow up singing this for for Advent, um, even though I did grow up with a with a few really good Advent carols. Uh, Heiferdal. Uh, what what am I um, what am I thinking of? Um, Come Now Long Expected Jesus is a classic one on Jordan's Bank, The Baptist Cries, um, Wake Awake. Uh, it, those are all ones that I grew up with. Uh, o Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the, the most famous of all of them. Uh, but this one is is so phenomenal. I, I, I encountered it when I was an adult and um, at my first church music job. Uh, that I worked right out of college. I um, inflicted it on the congregation that I was at. Um, this was a, a Presbyterian congregation. They had never encountered it, um, despite you know it's it's Wesley um, text. So you know there's nothing p- particularly crazy about it. It's it's got a kind of different uh, musical rhythm, uh, perhaps than what we're used to. I think with with uh, hymns, I'll, I'll play it in a moment. So there is a kind of novelty to it. Uh, but, uh, what, what really makes it work, I think is the, is the text. Um, it's one of those Advent texts that faces forward toward the second coming. Um, it, it really doesn't have too much to do with Christ's first coming, uh, uh, in the flesh with Christmas. It's, it's really focused on, uh, Christ coming with clouds descending. Um, the first stanza, there's a wonderful line about thousand, thousand saints swell the triumph of his train. It's an incredible image of like a, a procession coming down from heaven with Christ at the front and then just a sort of roar of millions of saints behind him. Um, my son, when he was four and, and I introduced him to this every Advent, um, he would uh, he loved that line but not probably for the right reason. He just loves singing, swells the triumph of his train. He loves singing about trains. So um, anyways, shall I play a little bit of this? So we get Why a don't you play a little bit of it? Before you do, just as you get ready to do that, this was this particular um, piece uh, was very significant to me in my uh, early days as a Christian and oh, uh, then carol services because it, it took me on a journey from the present to what – what we're looking forward to in the Lord returning. Yes, the swelling triumph of his train, but that great 
you know, final verse, um, which is a great crescendo towards this anthem, yea, amen, let all adore him high on heaven's eternal throne. It was just, for me, I always felt um, pleased to sing this at Advent and sad that we didn't bring it out of the rest of the year. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I feel exactly the same way. I'll, I'll play two different versions of it. The One will be the, let's say, um, the traditional English way of doing it, which is, you know, of course, it's got to be the best, right? Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, the, the, it's it's a bit on the slow side. It's solemn. It's with organ. I'll, I'll play another one that uh, I guess is also with with organ. But it's um, well, I'll explain it in just a sec. So I'll okay. I'll play the kind of typical version that you'll hear on your average um, King's College Christmas sort of album. That's that's the the typical version I think that that we're used to from from recordings. Is is that about the tempo you'd sing it at your? That's church? the tempo I sang it. Hand on heart, true to follow Christ, and true to the great tradition of the uh, Anglican denomination. Right, yeah. <laughs> okay. right. But does, no, it does lead you into that, John, doesn't it? Because it does take you on something of a journey as a hymn. Yeah. Yeah. It does, and musically, it does as well. There's that. I think what what made it. I, I didn't finish the story about inflicting this on the Presbyterian church. Um, they ended up loving it. They became obsessed with it. And I, I think I checked in with a few people back at that church last year and they still sing it every Advent, um, every single Sunday, they, they sing a different verse at the end of, end of the service. Um, but uh, there's something about the repetition of the melody, you know, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. You do that, that, that same thing three times in a row. Kids love it. It, it really works um, for kids. Um, I did want to play another recording. This is by a wonder. It's from a wonderful Christmas album um, by Andrew Parrott. Uh, as in the bird parrot, uh, the promise of ages, a Christmas collection. It's, it's more of an English and American folk Christmas, uh, approach, but you can hear him doing what he considers to be perhaps the, the more closer to the original tempo that, that perhaps people like Charles Wesley might've sung. Um, I'll just play a little bit of that so you get to hear it.
anyways, that you can you can see the the affect's totally different, right? I mean, it, it becomes totally a, different. Yeah, it becomes a much more um, bouncier sort of thing. Yeah, but that's I mean, again, it, it takes us through the same lyrics into the into the right. great journey of of that um, anthem at the end, uh, yeah. which probably with the first verse is one of my most favorites. Um, right. Claim the kingdom for thy own. Come, come, yeah. come quickly. Hallelujah. Come, Lord, come. This is fantastic. It is. And my, my favorite verse, I think, is the second. Um, mm. uh, every eye shall now be yeah. yeah, behold, uh, robed in dreadful majesty. Yeah. And then particularly the one, that the next bit, those who set it not and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the mm. tree, deeply wailing. And that's the part you repeat three times, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, shall the true Messiah see. There's, it's terrifying. I mean, it's it's very strange to sing this uh, yourself it, with a wonderful congregation singing loud around you in an organ because it's joyous music, it's sober, solemn music, but it's you're singing something very terrifying. The idea that at the end you get there and you realize I, I um, pierced and mm. nailed him to the tree, and I, I'm just deeply wailing at the sight of the true Messiah. That's mm. uh, it, it's it, it captures a kind of uh, emotional affect that is very difficult to to do otherwise but just this joyful hymn combined with that verse it, it's an incredible combination and i think john that second verse also leads us towards that penitential nature of advent picking up on what you've right. just said look we, we we've got a bow the knee before him now uh willingly to confess yeah. that he is christ and lord right yeah yeah very powerful very powerful okay shall we move towards christmas sure Okay, tell us about the next one. Uh, I think maybe I'll do that. Um, the next one is the truth sent from above. I, have you ever heard of this one? This was new to me when you sent them through. So I, I quickly got online and had a listen to it. I, I heard uh, two people singing it beautifully together. So tell us about this. Why did you pick this? Yeah, I, you know, of course, I I, I always got to pick one that, that no one's heard of or, or, else, <laughs> or else they don't sound like an expert. This is a... a so far as I'm aware, it really came into the popular imagination through Rafe von Williams, who is uh, uh, who is. Yes, the, you broke my heart about him, by the way, one day at an organ recital when you spoke about him. <laughs> oh, that that he was uh, was he agnostic or something? He was agnostic, and I thought I just I sang his hymns all my life. Yeah. <laughs> it is heartbreaking, uh, you know, but it's why he's he's the second best hymn writer. Uh, you know, Bach is the best uh, of all of them. There you go. Uh, and there's no doubt about Bach's uh, sincerity and piety. But so this anyway, is a Rafe yeah, Vaughan Williams, right? What is this a Rafe Vaughan Williams? Yeah, uh, it is not by Rafe Vaughan Williams. But okay. so, so one of the wonderful things Vaughan Williams did for the church um, was that he uh, went around the English countryside and collected folk songs. Um, and he edited folk songs, many folk songs which had never been written down in music or had perhaps sort of been in lesser known folk collections. Um, but he uh, helped to compile them into the Oxford Book of Carols, which is, remains, you know, there are many editions of it, uh, remains a big part of um, the richness of of the English carol tradition, or the, really the 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 world's carol tradition. Anyway, seven-year-old, I, I I spent a lot of time in those volumes. <laughs> yes, it, uh, so did I, and it's so worth having a copy, even if you aren't a musical person. You know. Anyways, he he found this uh, this wonderful old folk song. It's it's sort of a strange meter. 
it, it but yet somehow it flows very intuitively. I, I won't um, dwell on it. I'll just play you a little bit uh, since nobody wants to hear me blather on about it. I'll play you a, a little recording of it from some singers. You can get an idea and then, then we can talk about the text. So that's the first of, of many verses. Was that at all more familiar now that you heard it? It's still unfamiliar to me. As you know, so so talk us through that and talk us through why 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 this this one that signals out to you. Um, I, I love the simplicity of the tune. Uh, it's yet it's also um, a little unusual. Uh, but mo- most of all, I really love it because of the of the words. There are, I think, um, nine verses total, and yet uh, it you know if you sing it perhaps with your family or, or whatever, you can go maybe a little faster than that that choir did. But the 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 lyrics really relate this story. The first verse, this is the truth sent from a, above, uh, the truth of God, the God of love. Therefore, don't turn me from your door. Uh, it's as if you are going down the street and you're knocking on people's doors and uh, you just have to tell them, the entire gospel. And that's, that's what happens in this hymn. Um, the, the second verse is the first thing, which I do relate that God at first did man create. Uh, so he starts with Genesis and then he goes through the fall and how they lose paradise. They lose it through, uh, eating the apple. And then the people of God go through endless woe. And finally, by the sixth verse, you get, uh, the season of the year, our blessed redeemer did appear. And, and, so it it goes all the way through redemptive history in in a single hymn, and it's it's very much a a story driven carol, and I I really do love those kinds of carols, especially the ones that that kind of like a lessons and carol service. You start from the Old Testament and you, and you work forward. And so many of them do that. Even those great uh, well known carols, uh, more well known than this one, uh, "Once in Royal David City." Yes. It, it, takes us through the gospel right to the end. I love this verse, the eighth verse here. It gets very missionary, doesn't it? Go preach the gospel now, he said, to all the nations that are made, and those that do believe on me from all their sins, I'll set them free. I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? It takes us, yes, into the truth of the the gospel, but then go proclaim it uh, in the season. Yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely. Have you used this in a church setting? Um, I, you know, I have at least had a choir sing it. uh, I'm not sure I've had a congregation sing it. Uh, I don't think it would be too difficult to teach a congregation uh, if you wanted, but it's it's also just a very nice, simple choral anthem as well. The the other place that it shows up, um, Ray Fall Williams, back to him, he uh, he has a very famous Christmas medley. Um, he sort of started the craze of Christmas medleys, perhaps. And, Is it allowed, Christmas medleys? <laughs> he, he, I, it probably shouldn't be allowed, but he uh, he did a very good job. He was classy about it. Uh, and But he starts his medley off with this one. And I remember um, we went to a concert, a very, you know, 
sort of secular concert on a college campus once when I was growing up. And my mom was shocked because this uh, carol starts the whole sort of medley that he sings that, you know, a, a baritone just begins the piece with a cello by singing this. Uh, and I remember my mom saying, I can't believe they would allow that on a, on a college campus uh, based on, you know, uh, uh, you know, First Amendment or, or whatever, separation of church and state. It's a state college. And yet he's very clearly preaching the gospel and singing this, you know, Ray Fon Williams composition. And there is something about about the hymn that, or the carol that it, there's no escaping just how, for lack of a better word, how evangelical it is in, in the old fashioned sense of the word evangelical. It's beautiful, Gad. God grant to all within this place true saving faith, that special grace which to his people doth belong. And thus I chose my Christmas song. It's great, isn't it? Fantastic, rich words. Okay, where are you taking us for the for the next one? Yeah, uh, the, the last one is uh, another uh, story-based Christmas carol. Um, probably... This one I know. This one yeah. I know, brother. <laughs> and um, it's Tomorrow Shall Be My Dancing Day. I'll, I'll play the kind of typical version of it. Uh, I'll even play the, the cheesy... Well, sorry, I didn't poison the well there. I, I think it's a pretty cheesy arrangement by John Rutter, but I'll, I'll play it anyways, because, you know, it'll, it'll get it. It's a lot of one that I know. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, what, you, I was you, just about ready to sing along, John. <laughs> you sang this growing up, is that what you said? I did. So uh, Advent Carol Services, King's School, yes. uh, as a chorister in the Royal Schools of Church Music, uh, this was something regular on our Advent program that we would yeah. sing in those carol services. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you think of it as an adult and as a as an esteemed uh, bishop as well? Well, I think a number of things of it. Like it, the, the, the the is that the rudder tune, the rudder arrangement? It is a little bit cheesy, right? As it, you, it is an old oh. tune, but it is the rudder arrangement. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then it, it's it's immensely long, John, isn't it? Isn't there about one hundred and fifty verses? And it's <laughs> it, there's certainly quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So so um, so I think once you've got through all of them, it's really difficult to hold your attention. But again, there is some beauty to it because it does take us through portions of the gospel, right? That's right. And I think um, I'll play for us, for you in a second. There is a, one of the friends of Rafe Williams, whose name was Gustav Holst. He was sort of very similar. Um, he wrote some wonderful sacred music. Uh, he wrote his own version of this uh, just for, for a choir. It's not not really like a carol for for congregational singing, but um, his version is a little bit more solemn. It, it retains the dance and the and the childlike quality of it, but it's it's a bit more solemn and serious because, as you say, there, there's something about this. Uh, I think it's um, maybe medieval carol, 16th century. People aren't quite sure, um, but there is something almost mystical about it. So the first verse. Tomorrow shall be my dancing day. I mean, the first line, you think to yourself, what does this have to do with Christmas? Who is talking? What What are we talking about? Uh, as you go along, you progressively discover that the speaker in the first person, I, is Christ. And he's speaking sort of 
almost as it were from the womb right before being born. And he is, he, he has a prescience of what is going to occur throughout his life. So, um, it is, to me, it is a little, uh, uh, what's the word? It's a little tragic that that the the hymn tends to be, be turn into this cheesy thing that John Rutter makes it because there is some kind of very uh, impressive uh, uh, I don't know dr- dr- drama unfolding in the lyrics. Yeah, yeah there are. I mean, you you look at where we're going here. Uh, laid in the manger, baptism, uh, the uh, the the wilderness in the desert. Um, uh, the the preaching of the gospel, the thirty pieces of uh, silver from Judas before Pilate on the cross. I mean, it, it's 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 pretty weighty yeah. with regards to the gospel. Yes, and then the harrowing of hell, resurrection. Yeah, that's right, right there, there the, at the end, all the way through. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe we should be singing this more often, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that's that. You know, that's why I chose it. Oh, let me play a couple lines of the of the Holst, uh, and you can sort of get a sense of of how different it is. Yeah, so you can see that uh, it starts off with just one boy. It grows into a whole choir and becomes more dramatic. Yeah, what what did you make of that? Yeah, I've not. I've not. So that's the Gustav Holst. So I've not. I've not sung that. Um, it wasn't part of uh, the repertoire of um, of my raw schools of church music uh, background. Um, but it's very. It's got a very emotive feel to it, doesn't yeah. it? It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I I sense that you could get through that. And I'm just looking again at some of these verses here, John. Before Pilate, the Jews me brought, where Barabbas had deliverance, they scourged me and set me at naught, judged me to die and led the dance. And then comes the chorus where you where you, you brought back to uh, the words of Jesus and his great love for us. So sing my love, oh, my love, my love, my love. This have I done for you, my love, after all that scourging. And, and right. wow, yeah. yeah, when you go back into the chorus after every single one, the chorus takes on a different meaning after each verse, which is so beautiful. Yeah, it's very powerful that too. And then again, as as we think back to Lohi comes with clouds descending, that first um, hymn that we thought about, and ending there, yay, amen, let all right. adore thee. You get there with uh, with this piece as well. Then up to heaven I did ascend, where now I dwell in sure substance. On the right hand of God, that man may come unto the general dance. Thinking again about Jesus' ascension standing there seated at the right hand of the father it's just so so powerful as yeah. that's what i love about these right they take us through the gospel and uh, i went through a season john where i was quite irritated by um advent and christmas carols because of the repetitious nature of them yeah. and how they would be sung with you know dreadful electronic um uh, uh, uh versions in, in grocery stores but when you, you listen to them even yeah. in the grocery store there's the gospel being proclaimed yeah that's right yeah, yeah I, or I think of like uh, "Oh Come All Ye Faithful," which is sort of the most classic of classic, perhaps the most cliche of cliche, and yet uh, just the beauty of the Nicene Creed there in the second verse, um, you know, 
God of God, light of light, uh, being of one substance with the Father. It's all there in inside that that classic Christmas carol. You can't get away from it. So just before we close, tell me about you, your family, any Advent practices, um, things that are important to you in this season? Yes, uh, we, we we all look forward to the beginning of Advent because we every evening we do uh, a sort of an Advent evening prayer service based on the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, I have to admit, I, I'm what you call a prayer book Presbyterian. I, I can't get away from it. Uh, it's it's too beautiful, uh, the, the Book of Common Prayer. So we do that every evening with all the lights out and with, you know, the sort of one wow. candle, first week, the second candle. That, that's very popular with the kids. And, and we'll sing, you know, one verse per day of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, so you can get through all seven in a week, and, uh, and then a few other Advent, Advent carols as we go along. So. Well, what a great practice. Um, uh, my guest has been uh, John Ahern. John, so great to have you with us. We want to have you back as the seasons, the liturgical seasons of the year continue, where we can talk about some of the other great seasons. John's a friend of mine. It's a, it's a privilege uh, to call you a friend. He's a friend of our diocese, uh, and we're just so thrilled to have you with us. Let me pray um, from the Book of Common Prayer 2019 this time, uh, the collect, the prayer set aside for the first Sunday in Advent. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in that glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. I'm Julian Dobbs, and this has been Living Through the Word. I commend you now to God and to the word of his grace. <laughs>